You're listening to The Lunar Body, a podcast for feminist menstruators who want to manage their health naturally and supernaturally through nutrition, herbalism, and intuitive expansion using science and the moon as your guides. Hello and welcome to The Lunar Body. I'm your host, Kristen Ciccolini, period priestess, nutritionist, and founder of Good Witch Kitchen. Welcome to season two, finally. I'm thrilled that you're here. We have a lot more listeners this time around. Things picked up a little bit over the last few months while I was gone, and I want to thank you all for being here. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback and the emails and the reviews Coming back to the season took a little longer than I expected, but really, has anything gone as we've expected in the last couple of years? I don't think so. It's a lesson. It's definitely a lesson in learning how to surrender. But we're back, and I've got a great topic to dive into today. We'll be talking about outsourcing body literacy, what that means, the femtech trends that I've seen, and my thoughts on it all. Before that, of course, know that this information is for educational purposes only. It is not medical advice, and it's your responsibility to speak to a qualified healthcare provider about your unique needs. The final decision when considering any diet or lifestyle change, whether it's discussed on the internet, in a podcast, or prescribed by your doctor, is always your own. I just want to make a quick note about sound quality. Normally, I'm recording this in my closet surrounded by clothes that help out with the audio a bit, but currently I am folded up underneath a desk in my hotel room because I'm quarantining. Everyone around me seems to have COVID, so I'm hiding from all of them, and that means I have to creatively figure out a way to record this and make it sound as good as possible, so I'm doing my best. I promise it'll sound better in the future. Okay, let's get into it. What is body literacy? This is a term used in the fertility awareness method. That's a natural method of family planning and birth control, which I will touch on a little bit later. In this method, it means self-knowledge of your observable fertile signs. I also use it as more of a general term, so self-knowledge and intuition about your own body, knowledge about your personal cycle, and the natural fluctuations in emotional and physical feelings throughout your cycle, knowledge about foods that make you feel good and what doesn't. It's a cultivated awareness of your body and its needs that helps you to be a strong advocate for your own health. This takes work, definitely takes work. It takes time and intention. And we live in a culture that really likes convenience, right? We love Uber Eats. It's a lifesaver when we're feeling too tired to cook. Amazon shows up at your doorstep within hours of ordering sometimes. We shudder at the thought of something taking longer than two days to arrive, right? We like convenience. We like speed, instant gratification. That's the opposite of work, time, and intention. So already we're resisting something that used to come more naturally because there's more distraction. Outsourcing is a way of life for many people, especially since the pandemic started. And convenience is great. I too am an impatient customer who likes to order takeout when I'm burnt out. And I too ordered groceries from Amazon all through 2020. Also, these things are so important and necessary for disabled people who rely on these services to make life easier. What I'm interested in and slightly concerned about is what all of this means for the health space as tech companies aim to digitize every measurable aspect of our lives. I'm talking about femtech, 
and I hate the term, but femtech refers to software, apps, and other technology that focuses on women's health. Things like your period tracking app, fertility monitors, birth control, telemedicine, wearable devices, any tech related to our reproductive and sexual wellness. I dislike the term femtech for the same reasons that I dislike that women's health is considered a specialty. Something that serves half of the earth's population should not be considered a niche market. This makes it easy to dismiss or overlook. And this area is growing, but it's still not funded nearly as much as general digital health services and products, nor as highly as tech focused on men's health. But I do want to talk about some recent technology that caught my eye and got me thinking. What started all of this was when my friend Sarah sent me an email from Clue, which is one of the period tracking apps that I like to recommend because I like its functionality and gender neutral design and educational resources. But the email from Clue was announcing that it received FDA approval to launch a digital contraceptive, so digital birth control. It's intriguing, right? How could that possibly work? So I dove into all the literature that they had available for it. It's called Clue Birth Control, and I'll link to it in the show notes. The way it works is that it predicts your risk of pregnancy based on your period start date, and you need to abstain or use protection on high-risk days. High-risk meaning your risk for a pregnancy is high, so that's your fertile window. When you first start tracking with Clue Birth Control, you'll have 16 high-risk days, That right off the bat is confusing because we only have a six-day fertile window, which you may have heard me talk about before. When you ovulate, the egg survives up to 24 hours, and sperm can survive in the body for up to five days. So that's how we get the six-day fertile window. So 16 days is a lot, but it's really to cover your ass if you don't have that body literacy. The more cycles that you track, the more data the app will have to work with to give you a more accurate picture of your fertile window. And Clue says that the number of high-risk days will shorten to about 12 after it has more information from your tracking. Again, still twice as long than your actual fertile window, but better safe than sorry, right? Now, to be eligible for Clue birth control, you do have to go through a checklist of requirements, one of those being that you need to have a predictable cycle, one that's about the same length of time every month. So if you have an irregular cycle, If you have PCOS or a difficulty with ovulation, you're not going to be able to use this type of digital contraceptive. Personally, I don't think a period start date alone is enough to track your fertility, but knowing that this is how the app predicts your fertile window, it does make sense that there is such a high amount of high-risk days. This method to me feels like a bare-bones fertility awareness method without any actual personal awareness. You're outsourcing the ability to tell you when you're at risk for pregnancy. And I worry about two things with this. The first, obviously, is incorrect predictions leading to unplanned pregnancies. That's a big worry. I always recommend that people using period tracking apps turn off the prediction feature if they can, especially when getting started, they are almost never correct and they end up confusing users. And of course, this is why Clue requires you to have a regular cycle to be eligible to use it. They're trying to limit any error on their end. There could also be user error if you forget to track or if you input the wrong date. Many people rely on an app to tell them about their bodies. 
But what if something changes? What if your cycle is typically regular, but longer one month due to stress or illness or another factor that can impact ovulation and thus menstruation? Would users know what to look for? So predictions rely on users to properly log period start dates and to keep up with tracking religiously. And a lot of people have told me that they don't know what to do with the information that they've logged in their app. And I feel like this just keeps that autopilot tracking going. I do think clue birth control will be accurate for those who use it properly and have a working knowledge of their cycles. But I wonder what percentage of users that really is. They do have really great educational resources. They have a great blog. They have a podcast. So I think it could work. But again, I worry about potential errors with the predictions. And then the second worry I have is the whole point of the show, outsourcing body literacy. Body literacy is about being in tune with your personal rhythms, observing its signals, and understanding what to do with that information. The fertility awareness method that I mentioned helps you develop body literacy. It doesn't rely only on a period start date. It also relies on observable fertile signs like cervical fluid or discharge, which tells you that your body is working up to ovulation and your basal body temperature, which is your temperature first thing in the morning that can confirm for you when ovulation has occurred. So these two things help you know your fertile window, regardless of how long your cycle is each month. So if things happen to change, you can keep up with the changes. It does require more effort than clue birth control, but you learn so much that you can take with you for life. Who knows if the app will ever end, you know? So you can begin to make your own predictions based on the info you've tracked, even when things go awry and delay ovulation. And your high-risk days drop to six, which is a lot more fun. So an app isn't going to know if your ovulation is delayed based on a period start date alone. I know I'm a super nerd about this, but your cycle is so exciting. And hopefully you are too. That I mean, you're listening to a podcast about periods, so hopefully you think that is. You can tell me all about it if you want. But typically when my clients and students start learning about their cycles, they do get pretty excited and are amazed at the insights that they come up with. When you pay attention to it, you get such valuable information about your body and your personal rhythms that you can use to your advantage to live your life according to your own needs. And I talk at length about this in my cycle syncing program. It's called Cycle Magic, and it's designed for people who feel like misfits in the world of wellness, whose PMS and period problems are routinely dismissed by doctors when tests come back quote-unquote normal, who are prescribed birth control as a solution, who are sick of recycled advice online that never felt right to follow, and who are seeking guidance from a source that considers your humanity. And also for those who live in the liminal space between the practical and the mystical. So if you like this podcast, it is right up your alley. The course is 100% online and Cycle Magic is designed to be a self-study program. So you get all the content at once to go at your own pace. And if you prefer to have it organized week by week to avoid overwhelm, I've included a suggested course schedule for you. So if you heard last season, I talked a lot about my sync membership because this year was so difficult on a personal level. I decided to turn it into something a little bit more sustainable. So cycle magic is the online course version of that membership and you get 
lifetime access to it. So I'll continue talking about body literacy and femtech. And I just want to tell you a little bit about the course first since I launched it while, while we're on hiatus. So the course moves through three areas. So the first is lunar body basics. It's got science class vibes. So I like to look at this as cycle school. I almost called it that, but Cycle magic's more fun. So Lunar Body Basics has science class vibes where you learn the fundamentals on nutrition for happy hormones, how your menstrual cycle works, what the moon has to do with it, and how to tame PMS. Then the second area is intuitive expansion, which is more like philosophy class vibes where we dive into the patriarchal societal structures that keep us from connecting with our bodies. And you learn how to develop your intuitive superpowers and apply them to both food and movement. And then the third area is like art class, making magic, deciphering your body signals and starting to create the masterpiece that is your cyclically guided life. Because as you just heard, I'm so very excited about all of this. There's also a really robust resource library for you to comb through if you feel called to go deeper, including lunar self-care rituals and phase-specific recipes. So this course teaches you how to understand your body from a feminist perspective instead of you know, the patriarchal version that you probably got in health class. And by paying attention to how your body feels throughout the month, tending to your needs accordingly, and really nurturing yourself through the supportive nutrition and self-care practices that I have in there, you not only align with your cycle and feel a hell of a lot better, but you develop a stronger connection to your intuition too, and you can be a stronger advocate for yourself in a medical setting. So these lessons, they stay with you for life on an energetic level, but also like in your Notion account. So (laughs) it's body literacy. It's what we're talking about today. So to celebrate season two of the podcast returning, I'm giving my listeners $100 off the course with the code LUNARLOVE. So just enter that on checkout when you go to goodwitchkitchen.net slash cycle dash magic. And I will link that in the show notes. Okay, so we covered Clue birth control. A little after I did a deep dive on that, I heard about the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A, I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's a $300 wearable device. It's a smart ring, fitness tracker, sleep tracker that came out with a period prediction feature in beta. This is another way to automate tracking, but this one uses your basal body temperature, which is one of the observable signs that we use in the fertility awareness method. Because it's a ring that stays on you and it constantly monitors you, you don't have to remember to check your temperature in the morning and then log it in your app. It's already being done for you, which is very convenient. Sometimes I forget to monitor my temperature, but if you if you are doing that, um, a workaround I've figured out since I grab my phone first thing in the morning, I just put the thermometer on top of my phone so I remember. Back to the Aura Ring. So they do note that This will only be useful for people with normal temperature patterns. So if you have any issues in that area, perhaps a thyroid issue that impacts your body temperature, the ring may not work for you for period prediction. And that's a key thing to note is that this is for period prediction only, not for birth control. Basal body temperature can only tell you when ovulation has occurred. So after it has already happened. So it doesn't tell you anything about your fertile window. So you don't have any notification about when ovulation is oncoming. Your temperature has a clear shift after ovulation because progesterone begins to rise and naturally warms your body slightly. So from there, a normal luteal phase is 12 to 16 days long. So the app can predict your period that way after the temperature shift. If after 16 days, your temperature is still high, 
Well, then the ring can probably also tell you that you're pregnant because after 18 days of high temperatures, you will want to go get a pregnancy test. If that's something you're looking forward to, excellent. If not, then you will need another form of birth control. And Aura says that if you're using hormonal contraceptives, so the birth control pill or an IUD, the algorithm will not be able to accurately predict your period. So again, this is just for period prediction purposes off of hormonal birth control. Both of these things to me feel like half of what we want. So Clue Birth Control offers the birth control without the body literacy and Aura offers automated body literacy without the birth control. I want both. I want birth control and body literacy. Though it is pretty cool what Aura does. The company says its temperature sensor generates 1400 data points each day and it's validated to measure changes as precisely as 0.234 degrees Fahrenheit, which allows the algorithm to predict your period up to 45 days out, which is awesome if you're planning a vacation or are mapping out your cycle phases on your calendar and syncing your activities, because that's what cycle syncing is all about. But again, that requires some knowledge of your body and your personal rhythms so you know what type of activities are best in your different phases. So there are pros and cons to all of this. I do think the idea of a digital contraceptive is really cool, and I'm interested to see how this goes for Clue and Aura and other companies that are trying to get into this space. And I think it's so important for people to learn about their bodies because it's knowledge you can take with you for life. Again, I know I've said it multiple times, but it applies to so many areas of your life. So I'm not 100% sold on these things, but I'm glad that there are other options out there. Another aspect of outsourcing body literacy that I wanted to touch on are some new nutritional guidelines that came out recently, just a couple months ago, that are frankly kind of absurd. If you don't already know, I take an intuitive approach to health. I love the intuitive eating framework. I think there is a time and place for all foods. I think that we are smarter than diet culture convinces us that we are when it comes to making food choices. We're taught that we can't trust ourselves and that we have to follow the advice of people who claim to be experts when it comes to our own bodies. And so my spidey senses tingled real hard when Tufts University came out with a new food scoring system that, according to the press release, ranks the healthfulness of foods from first to worst. Oh boy. So (laughs) Tufts University, right? Sounds pretty official. They have a well-respected school of nutrition science and policy, which is kind of misleading with this new nutrient profiling system they came out with called the food compass. It covers individual foods and meals combining multiple foods. So like individual ingredients and then meals that have a combination of certain ingredients. The scores are calculated by a system that accounts for macronutrient ratios. So the amount of protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Also their vitamin and mineral content, ingredients, additives, processing, and quote, other characteristics of public health concern. Before I go further, let's talk about why what I just said is already an issue. So think about supplementation. Sometimes supplementation can be an issue because it can be reductive or improperly used. The thought process is that a food is helpful because of the individual nutrients we know it has. So we isolate those nutrients, separate them, and put them in capsule form, hoping it'll have the same effect as eating the whole food. For instance, taking the vitamin C 
out of the orange. Not considering that maybe vitamin C working in conjunction with all of the other parts of the orange is what makes it so effective. That's not always how it works. It's a simplistic understanding of nutrition that ignores other factors that contribute to overall health. With that in mind, the scoring system strikes me as the same idea. And honestly, some of the scoring is completely illogical. For example, the cereal Lucky Charms scored higher on this healthfulness scale than red meat. Take that for what you will. So Tuff says that its food compass can provide a nuanced approach to promoting healthy eating. But I have several questions. First, if a person eats something on the low scoring end of the scale, should they be afraid that it will collapse their health? The score implies a certain moral status. Higher on the scale equals good, lower on the scale equals bad. What is the purpose of assigning moral value to these foods? What about food access? How do you know if that's their only access to a food? And what if, instead of policing what people have access to, we look at why that food insecurity exists in the first place? Also, is it helpful to a person's health to scare them this way? More questions. How do you know if they're eating it all the time or if it's an occasional thing? And why doesn't that contribute to the score? Why are we still vilifying fat and cholesterol, which contribute to lower scores? If you want more about that, I did an episode last season on easing fears around food where I talked about decades of poor dietary advice and how it convinced us that we need to be afraid of these things, which clearly is still happening. And the episode talks about why we don't have to fear them. A couple reasons being that fat helps us absorb certain nutrients and cholesterol is required for good hormone health. So listen to that episode for more on that. I'll link it in the show notes. To call this system nuanced is laughable, honestly. Nuance to me would be accounting for a more holistic picture of health determinants. Science, although very important, doesn't always provide a complete solution. Numbers are not nuanced. And, you know, education is why I got into this industry. I learned firsthand how food could enhance my health, and I believe it's everyone's right to know about nutrition and how food works in the body and whether a certain food will contribute to their health or not. And... I also believe it's everyone's right to develop their own awareness around how foods feel in their body and also to do what they want with that information. So with that in mind, another big problem here is that Tufts is recommending that the system influence food policy. Food policy impacts government health programs, school cafeterias, what's allowed to be taxed. So when someone or some group is lobbying for policy change, you got to look at who benefits. So I have more questions. Why are branded items like Cheerios and Frosted Mini Wheats at the top of the list? Higher than actual whole grains that don't have additives. Why are branded items on the list at all? Why are vegetable oils, which are known to be pro-inflammatory, ranking higher for healthfulness on this list than other known anti-inflammatory oils? Is it because the vegetable oils are made with government subsidized ingredients? I don't know. Just curious. Asking for a friend. Why are whole nutrient-dense foods like beef and eggs ranked lower than processed cereals and lower than meat and egg substitutes? Interesting, right? I'm glad you asked. If you look at the competing interest section of the Nature Study, where this food compass was published, you'll find that the lead author accepts money from Barilla, which is a pasta company, and the vegan meat company Motif Foodworks. 
He's also previously served on the Scientific Advisory Board of Unilever, which is one of the world's largest manufacturers of vegetable oils. On top of this, something not listed in the competing interests section is that Tufts recently received a $10 million grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to help develop cultivated meat, so a meat alternative grown from cells. Aaron Holt from the Functional Nutrition Podcast did a much deeper dive here on the food compass and its shortcomings, its many shortcomings, and I'll link to it. It's a great episode, but one thing she pointed out here was that in the press release, it states that the team at Tufts that is working on this project is also going to be working on, quote, consumer acceptance of cultivated meat. And what better way to improve acceptance of lab-grown meat than to tell people that real meat is unhealthy? So I'll take off my tinfoil hat, but it's information worth considering. A lot of dietary guidelines are and have been in the past influenced by money over science, unfortunately. And as I record this in late December, we're seeing Something similar with the CDC reducing the isolation period for people who are COVID positive, where it's more about money over science, bringing people back to work because of the labor shortage, because capitalism over everything. I could go on forever. I will stop. (laughs) But the reason I bring this up in a conversation about body literacy is that it's so important to gain awareness around your body and what feels good to you. And that can be so hard to do with the onslaught of information and recommendations that are constantly being thrown your way. Everything is conflicting, right? Everything is healthy or unhealthy, and you never know what to do with your shopping list. It can be overwhelming and confusing, especially when there's bias involved that you may not even realize is there. Not everyone's going to look at the competing interest section of the nature study. Not everyone knows where to even find the nature study, you know, but you already kind of know what to do. It's very simple. Whole foods have all the nutrients you need already in there. So for your sanity and your health, remember that you are the expert in you. Practicing intuitive eating helps you ignore all of these conflicting messages and focus on what's true for you and your body and what makes you feel best. That's all I have to say on that. That was juicy. That was fun. That's a wrap on our first episode of season two. I hope this conversation was eye-opening and could offer another perspective on why getting in tune with your body is so important on the gift of being able to trust yourself and how that can enrich you with knowledge that can help you have more control over your family planning, your personal life, and your overall health. Remember to celebrate season two of the Lunar Body Returning. I'm offering $100 off my Cycle Magic online course. All the details are in the show notes. Just use the code LUNARLOVE at checkout. Thank you so, so much for being here. I'm glad to have you back and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Lunar Body. This one woman production is listener supported. And if you'd like to support the show, you can check out the podcast perks in the show notes. Visit my virtual tip jar at goodwitchkitchen.net slash tip. Or you can subscribe and leave a rating or review in iTunes so other lovely lunar feminists like you find my show. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at thelunarbody at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at goodwitchkitchen. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time.